Hi, I'm Elizabeth Ficken, and I invite you to study the Bible with me. My ladies' Bible study class at my church is studying 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, and we're using the workbook that I wrote entitled Letters to the Thessalonians, Encouragement for Living in the End Times. It's available on Amazon. Join us as we read someone else's mail. I'm sure you'll find a few things that you think were written just to you. This talk is entitled Living in the Light. And I want to begin in the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light and that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. In the beginning, that's when the things of the earth started. In the beginning, there was darkness. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And the light was good. So from the beginning, light has been labeled good. God separated the light from the darkness and he called the light day and he called the darkness night. So from the first day of creation, as Genesis 1-5 says, the evening and the morning were the first day. The Jews observed the days the way that God described them from the beginning. The day starts with darkness and then there is light. So the evening and the morning become the day. That's the way day is described. This is a description of the day of the Lord as well. It will start with a time of darkness, the darkness of the judgment of God. And then there will be a time of light, the millennial kingdom, the light of the blessing of the reign of Jesus during the millennial kingdom. What a great time of light that will be. In the scriptures, the physical reality of night and day are often representations of the spiritual realities of darkness and light. Darkness is often an illustration of sin, death, evil, and judgment. And light represents God and his goodness and his salvation. Here's an example from Proverbs 4.19. It says, the way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. Isaiah refers to the darkness of sin and the light that the Messiah will bring when he says in Isaiah 9:2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Jesus, who is the light, said John tw- in, tw- in John 12, 35 and 36, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness doesn't know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. We who have responded to Jesus' invitation can rejoice as Colossians says, Colossians 1, 12 and 13, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. 
in Christ, who is the light. We are in the light of his kingdom. I'm pretty happy about that. <laughs> Paul said to the Thessalonians that they are sons of the light and sons of the day. And I am sure that he was not excluding women. So I will just affirm that we are daughters of the day. Because of Jesus' rescue of us out of darkness and out of the darkness of sin, out of the domain of the prince of darkness, we're in the light. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, 5, we do not belong to the night or the darkness. Paul also said to the Romans in chapter 13, verses 12 through 14, the night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. He means the night that we, our lives were in, the life that we had in the darkness. That's what's gone. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. If we're not in the dark, which we're not, if we're in Christ, then we shouldn't act like we're in the dark. That's Paul's main message at the end of 1 Thessalonians. He declares that the day of the Lord will come. It will be a time of God's judgment on those who are living in the dark. It will be on those who have remained in the night. But that day's not for us. Paul moves back and forth between night and day between believers and unbelievers, between what happens in the future and what should be happening in the present in our lives right now. He's moving back and forth between these two concepts in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and I've given you the passage here on the screen. I want to show you this uh, verses, these verses in a column form to separate them and highlight what he says about us who are in the light. 1 Thessalonians 5.1, about the times and seasons, brothers and sisters, you don't need anything to be written to you. You, verse 4, are not in the dark for that day, that dark day, to overtake you like a thief. You're not in the dark. It's not going to overtake you. Verse 5, sons of light and sons of the day. We're not of the night or of darkness. Verse 6, so then we must not sleep. We must stay awake and be sober. Verse 8, since we are of the day, we must be sober and put the armor of faith and love on our chests and put on the helmet of the hope of salvation. Did you catch faith, hope, and love right there? Now, uh, I have verse 9 on the red column side, as in this is what happens in the day of the Lord and the for those who are still in darkness. But it also tells us that God did not appoint us to wrath. So wrath happens in the day of the Lord, but we're not appointed to it. But what are we who are in the light appointed to? What will we obtain? Based on verse 9, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. We will obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Verse 11 Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. 
do you realize that this means that we're not getting ready for the day of the Lord? We are already ready and our lives should show that we are ready. And that's what the end of this chapter five is going to be about. Back in 2011, and for four years, there was a TV show called Doomsday Preppers. It was on the National Geographic channel, Nat Geo, and it said, Doomsday Preppers explores the lives of otherwise ordinary Americans who are preparing for the end of the world as we know it. Unique in their beliefs, motivations, and strategies, preppers will go to whatever lengths they can to make sure that they are prepared for any of life's uncertainties. And this season, in the episodes of that time, the preppers are testing the limits of ingenuity as they develop extreme doomsday survival machines, high-tech shelters, and specialized escape routes. With customized features, super-secret locations, and homespun engineering, these extreme Armageddon defense systems are ready for anything. This show evaluated the strategies and supplies of the prepper, and then they gave them a grade on how ready they were, and they told them areas in which they needed to improve. One of the areas that was often pointed out was that of networking, and the the evaluators said there is safety in numbers. Practical preppers consultant David Kobler said that teamwork and coordination among preppers may turn out to be critical for survival. I'm bringing this up because I did watch the show a little bit and I saw those preppers recruit family and friends to join them and get ready. They went out in their neighborhoods. They enlisted others to join them, especially when they got a low grade on their networking scores. They needed to engage others. Those preppers were getting ready and their lives showed it. They had confidence in what they were doing. It, what they were doing was giving them some peace uh, even while they were still preparing. They were doing what they thought would protect them. How much more should our lives show that we are ready and we have confidence and we have peace that we are ready for what is coming because we're not going to have to experience that wrath to come. We have been rescued from the sudden destruction which will come, but we still have to endure the after effects of the two previous mega disasters that impacted all of eternity. The first superstorm occurred when Satan rebelled against God and he was cast down from heaven. Jesus said in Luke 10, 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And Satan has been causing damage ever since that time. We must be alert and prepared for his attacks. The second disaster was the worst in all of history. When Adam and Eve succumbed to Satan's temptation and rebelled against God, the aftershocks of that earthquake, that rift between man and God, those aftershocks have been affecting all the earth and all mankind ever since. So we must be alert to the effects of sin and the temptation to sin. Paul tells us, since we belong to the day, to the light, since we belong to the Lord, we must stay awake. We must be sober, be alert, be self-controlled. 
put on the armor of faith and love on our chest and put on a helmet of the hope of salvation. These instructions are not to make us ready. These are not getting us ready for the coming disaster. Reading the text carefully shows us that Paul is saying in verse 5, since we belong to the day, since we belong to the light, since we belong to the Lord, our behavior is to give evidence of that. Paul's instructions are reminders to us that doing the right thing and walking in faith, hope, and love, these are the manifestations of our relationship with the Lord. Now I want to take a minute and remember what the Thessalonians were going through when Paul wrote this letter to them. In chapter 1, verse 6, he said, I know you're going through severe persecution. Chapter 2 told us they were suffering the same thing that the churches in Judea did. There was persecution and hostility against believers in Christ. In chapter 3, Paul, it said that Paul sent Timothy to make sure that the Thessalonians' faith wasn't being shaken by those persecutions. In chapter 4, Paul instructed the Thessalonians to stay away from sexual immorality and do their work and take care of their own affairs. What we see from all this is that the Thessalonians were living out their faith in the midst of very difficult circumstances, and they needed to continue to make the right decisions. Paul made it clear they were not in the midst of the judgment of the day of the Lord, but they still had plenty of troubles to deal with. They needed to press on as citizens of the kingdom of light. They needed to remember that they were wearing the armor consisting of faith, love, and hope, which is the helmet of salvation. We are in the same situation that the Thessalonians were in. We are not in the day of the Lord. We're not getting ready for the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is in the future, but we're not getting ready for it. We are already ready. <laughs> we are to live in our current circumstances with alertness to the troubles of the darkness of sin and Satan. We are daughters of light and as daughters of the Lord, we are to walk in God's light while unbelievers are stumbling in darkness. And hopefully we can shine the light of the Lord into the lives of the unbelievers and they too will be rescued by the Lord out of the darkness. We are to walk in faith believing the Word of God, trusting that Jesus has rescued us from sin and God's wrath and death. By faith, we are to carry out works of faith. We're to walk in love. This is agape love, unconditional love, God's forgiving love. You've seen throughout 1 Thessalonians so far, we are to increase and abound, overflow in agape love for one another and for all and do those labors of love. We're to do so more and more. We're to walk in hope, knowing that we've already received salvation through Jesus who died for us. We're to walk in hope in anticipation of His coming for us. We're to walk in hope that we'll be reunited with the dead in Christ. And we're to walk in the hope that we will always be with the Lord. I hope those phrases sound familiar to you. I am just paraphrasing the Bible verses from 1 Thessalonians. 
all of Paul's comments to the believers which were made in connection to the day of the Lord here in chapter 5. These are exhortations that we are to live in the light. So I just wanted you to see the separation in these columns between what he says to believers and what he's saying is going to happen to them, the others who remain in the darkness. We are to live in the light and encourage each other as we wait for Jesus. We're to build each other up so that we will excel more and more in holiness. After setting the stage for the reason for living in the light, Paul gives some very specific descriptions of what living in the light looks like in our family of faith. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 22 contain a lot of instructions. They're not a list of Christian commandments. <laughs> and I will admit that I have looked at these verses this way in the past. I, I don't want us to take them as a, a hard uh, law. Certainly it's instructions that we are to follow. It is the will of God for us. But consider the responsibilities that Paul names and the actions and attitudes that he tells us to have are tangible, practical examples of faith, hope, and love. They are the characteristics of the believer who is ready for Jesus' return and who's walking worthy of the Lord while waiting for Him. So this is not behavior that's going to earn you your way into heaven, but it is the behavior that shows that you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. Warren Wearsby entitles his chapter on these verses, on 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 22, he calls it, It's All in the Family. And he asks, What are the essentials for a happy, thriving church family? How can we make our local churches more spiritual to the glory of God? So thinking about family, I thought of my family, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law, Charles and Courtney, who, as they had little bitty boys, <laughs> they were very intentional in considering what would lead to a happy, thriving family. The children are growing up and they still are intentional, but they used to have a huge chalkboard in their den decorated every season with special family activities that they planned on participating in. And this was their fall chalkboard. Colored chalk and fun letters and drawings added to the anticipation of experiencing each of these family events. Their boys could tell you all about it with great excitement and they would get to color in the symbols of these events after they completed them. Everyone could see what was going to happen in that family. They could see what they'd already done and what they still wanted to do. And I couldn't help but think about that happy, exciting chalkboard as a great example of how we should view the practical expressions of faith, love, and hope that Paul gives us. These list of things to do, the instructions, are living out faith, hope, and love. Paul tells us what activities make a happy family and what actions help those who are not so happy. I made a family activity page and this is available to download as well. You can color in the squares as you do the activities. Perhaps you can share this with your family. The phrases of this 
page are taken from the New Living Translation, and I want to briefly mention each one of these and what our family of faith should be involved in right now. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12. Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. Paul says do this because they work hard among you and they give you spiritual guidance. Verse 13, show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work. And part of this instruction towards the leaders and then towards your fellow believers, live peacefully with each other. This instruction tells us to do all that we can to maintain peace with our church leaders, submitting to them, cooperating with them, not causing problems for them. And we want to pursue peace among ourselves. In verse 14, Paul says, Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. We are to instruct and encourage others to do what is right. Those who are lazy are those who are neglecting their daily responsibilities. And we shouldn't be lazy about our works of faith, about our involvement in our church with people around us. There's so many ways to apply this word lazy. Don't be lazy. And whatever that is, that is the Holy Spirit is using this word to um, maybe wake you up, move you, inspire you, get going. Don't be lazy about the Lord's work. Verse 14 also tells us, encourage those who are timid. Come alongside those who are worried, fearful, and discouraged. Give them an encouraging word. What did we see in our homework from Ephesians? Give them psalms, scripture, a prayer, a song. Give them hope. Take tender care of those who are weak. John Walford says about this, the word weak refers to weakness in one's spiritual life. They haven't learned to lean on Jesus to support, help, and encourage them. To help means to hold yourself over against, to hold on to, cling to, hold up. The stronger sheep are to hold up the weaker ones. We're to take tender care of those who are weak. Treat them gently, carefully, tenderly. And be patient with everyone. Don't you love that instruction? <laughs> Why do we need to be patient with everyone? Everybody makes mistakes sometimes. Every Christian needs to receive patience from somebody sometimes. Every person needs to receive patience sometimes. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. On this page, I separated these two statements, even though they do go hand in hand. We are to refuse to retaliate. And I just thought it would be good for that to be very clear, a very concise statement. Don't pay back evil for evil. Walford says, there are no exceptions or loopholes to this statement. Do not pay back evil for evil. And perhaps you'll remember Jesus said it, love your enemies, turn the other cheek. And what does Paul say for us to do instead of doing evil? Always try to do good to each other and to all. Always, 
always try to do good. How are we going to do that? The fruit of the Spirit is goodness. When it's not in you, and it's not in you except that you have the Holy Spirit in you, so goodness is in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let it flow by His power and do good. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 Always be joyful. There's another always. Walverd said, Suppose that all that we knew about a Christian was that he or she rejoiced always. What would we know? We would know that this person was genuinely saved. Someone has said that true joy can be described as the flag that flies high over above my heart to show that the king is in residence there. Is the flag of joy waving in your life? 1 Thessalonians 5.17 tells us never stop praying. That's another always statement. Always pray. Pray constantly. This means to pray frequently and regularly. And it can also be described as picturing yourself in the same room with the Lord and not always talking, but you're together and you can always bring something up <laughs> and you're always ready to listen because you're together. 1 Thessalonians 5:18. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. I will admit that I have tried to find a loophole in this instruction. Like, okay, be thankful in all circumstances, but I don't have to be thankful for all things. But Ephesians 5.20, which we read in our homework, says, give thanks always for everything. This means no matter where God puts you, no matter what your problems are, you can thank God for all that he's done for you, and you also can thank him because you know that Romans 8:28 is not a cliche. It is truth. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose for them. Romans 8:28. We know that. And so we can thank God for everything. And I know this is hard sometimes. And this brings up questions like, how can I thank God for this bad thing? This bad thing that's happened to me, this pain that I'm experiencing. Scripture tells us, thank God for everything, even when we don't understand. And it would take a whole nother talk to work that out and explain it. But we have the instructions right before us. So I'm going to encourage you to wrestle with that and pray about it and trust the Lord and look to him and see him at work in your life, even in those things that are the worst and most painful things to thank him for. First Thessalonians 5:19. do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Don't quench him. Say yes to the Holy Spirit. Say yes to what the Lord wants to do in your life. Allow him to lead you. Follow the urging and the leading, the instruction of the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.20, do not scoff at prophecies. There are always people who doubt that God will do what he says he will do. 
they scoff. They don't think he'll do it. This was a problem in Israel in Old Testament times. In Ezekiel chapter 12, it says that the people were saying, the days keep going by and the vision is failing. Basically, God's not doing what he said he was going to do. Well, God speaks up. Ezekiel 12, verse 25. I, the Lord, will speak whatever message I will speak, and it will be done. It will no longer be delayed. So if God said it, he's going to do it. Don't despise or scoff at prophecies that you haven't seen fulfilled yet. Verse 21, 1 Thessalonians 5:21 continues, don't scoff at prophecies, but do test everything that is said. And in our day, this is put together right next to that don't scoff at prophecies, but test everything. There are people who are prophesying and it's false prophecy. So you definitely need to test everything that is said. Please check all comments and perspectives and cliches and opinions. And how are you going to check them? Check them against the word of God. You even need to check scripture when someone quotes scripture because it can be quoted out of context. It can be applied incorrectly to a situation. 1 Thessalonians 5:21. Hold on to what is good. Hold on to the good word of God. So you're testing things and you're holding and keeping what is good. And holding on to the word of God, hoping in the word of God. 1 Thessalonians 5.22 says, stay away from every kind of evil. Now on my little uh, family activities page, I, this was coming to the end of the page. And on one line, I wanted this statement, stay away from every kind of evil. Well, the best way to uh, put the graphics on there was to repeat that phrase, stay away, stay away, stay away, stay away, stay away. Well, a repetition of stay away from evil is pretty appropriate, isn't it? <laughs> there are many things to stay away from. In the Christian Standard Bible translation, it says, stay away from every form of evil. In the King James Version, it says, abstain from all appearance of evil. In the NIV, it says, avoid every kind of evil. And we need this reminder, stay away, stay away, stay away, stay away from evil. Paul closes his letter with a prayer that we will study in our next homework lesson. But I wanted to include the very last line of his letter in our family activity page. So Paul will close the letter with this prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 through 24. 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen for he who calls you is faithful. And then he says, dear brothers and sisters, pray for us. And he closes his letter. Verse 26. Greet all brothers and sisters with Christian love. So that was the last instruction that I included on our family activities page. Greet all brothers and sisters with Christian love. Those of us who have been rescued by Jesus have been rescued from the darkness and brought into his kingdom of light. 
May the flag of joy <laughs> wave over our lives and may our lives shine brightly with the light of faith, love, and hope. That's all for today. I am Elizabeth Ficken. Thanks for studying the Bible with me.